A new project announcement. Old conservative principles. Flag burning. Making America dream again. And having empathy. Irishman stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, my fellow freedom lovers. How are you today? This, of course, is the show where you come for different reasons. Some of you come to to visualize me and my hot bod because, let's face it, I have the, the body for radio. Others come for the principles, others come for the love of America, others come to just get away from the daily political grind, and some of you might come for an accent, you know, maybe this accent, or maybe the, <laughs> the French accent, oui, 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 <laughs> je m'appelle Jonathan, <laughs> see, I'm even learning French for you guys, I will do anything for you guys to make you enjoy this show, don't ask me to learn any more French though. We have a jam-packed show for you today, and I actually want to start today off with some really, really good news. So, if you've been following me on social media, there's been a lot of stuff going on in my life, and I'm not going to bore you with the details, because, you know, number one, I don't do negativity. I try and stay as positive as possible, but also because I don't get into the name-calling and the the hassle and the, the, you know, all the, hey, you did this and you said this and I'm not happy with this and you treated me this way because this industry is kind of filled with egomaniacs. But I've been making some changes behind the scenes and one of them I want to talk to you about today is I'm really excited about because I think it's coming at a critical time, but I also need your help. On July 1st, which actually will be our four-year anniversary of this show. It is Independence Day week. And the Blaze, through because of their kindness, because of their support, have decided to let me do something special. So this show will air every day during Independence Week. And it's not just, hey, we're getting you know a daily show for a week. No, no, we're going to focus in on something very specific. And it's something I'm going to ask for your help on. What we are going to do on that show is, the show is not going to be an hour long. The show is going to be about 10 to 15 minutes each day, ad-free, one segment, maybe two, depending on the day. And we are going to go a deep, deep dive into the Declaration of Independence. Because, quite frankly for me, I'm a bit concerned about your nation. And I'm concerned that the lack of history been taught. I'm concerned the lack of principles that are on display And quite honestly, I see America today, and I talk to people, and there is, I have seen more people on the right demean the Founding Fathers over the last four or five years, and specifically the last three, where you're all of a sudden, you know, George Washington wasn't that special. And it's not that they're demeaning them the way the left demean them. They'll they'll say, like, oh, they're just all slaveholders. No, no. There's just this ignorance or apathy towards them. Now, how do we change that? Can I get angry and go, well, how can you say that about the Founding Fathers? I have seen people say the Founding Fathers weren't that great. 
that it wasn't that exceptional. That what you're seeing today is we're we're no different to what the founding fathers did. And I I fully, as an opinion, reject that. But how can I change that? I think we change that through passion and through education. And that is why I asked to do this special serial. Monday to Friday of that week, we're going to do a deep dive and I'm going to talk about different aspects of the Declaration of Independence. Now, why do I want to do this? Because quite simply, I don't see how America can be an exceptional nation or the nation you know today without the Declaration of Independence. I see people going around, well, I'm a constitutionalist. We can talk about that in a few minutes, but we everyone wants to talk about the Constitution. The Constitution is a wonderful, wonderful document. It is a great framework for government, but it is the third of the three documents in importance. The Declaration of Independence is the most important. The Bill of Rights is the second, and then the Constitution. You do not have an exceptional nation with just the Constitution. Why? Because all it does is lay out power of the government. What makes the Declaration of Independence exceptional is because it is your foundational stone. It is where you told the world. It is your mission statement of what you are for. And I think it's time we do a really, really deep dive onto that. Just without the politics of the day, without any other principles, without anything, you know, left or right or Trump or never Trump or, you know, conservative or liberals. Just do a deep dive into the history of it and break down every principle that's in that document because there is so much to discuss. In case you're wondering how, how the show is going to work, we're just going to take a topic, uh, maybe a section of it, and discuss it. And there is so much in that document that five shows probably won't do it. Because there are certain things that are in that document, whether it's about all men being created equal and the history of that, about the history of rights and responsibilities, the layout of the document, how they signed it off about talking about honor being sacred. There is so much that is important, that is critical, that we need to share with our fellow man. And this is not just an American thing, this is a worldwide thing. I want to do this the best way I can, and here's my hope. We need to dream big. And here's my big dream for this. I hope everyone who listens to this show gets something from it. Just falls in love with Independence Day again. That falls in love with the Founding Fathers again. But my also hope is that people will share with the kids and grandkids. That you can actually learn something. Because it won't be about politics. It'll be about the history of the day. And my hope is that this year, to those who listen to this show... And those that will listen to this special. That when it comes to Independence Day. You will look and you'll enjoy your family time. And you'll enjoy your fireworks. You'll enjoy time with your friends, your family. Ever how you spend it. You'll enjoy eating your hot dogs and having a beer. You'll enjoy fireworks. But you'll understand the real meaning. The real sacrifice that you're celebrating on that day. The meaning of those words. That when you declared your independence, you literally changed the world. And that you were actually not just toasting, hey, happy July 4th. You know, just because it's become nonchalant. Hey, happy July 4th. July 4th is another day. Independence Day is exceptional. I'm hoping that you'll share it. It's free. Share it with your family and your friends. Not to promote my show or to get me listens, but to get that love of your country out there. To get that love of your principles out there. So that's the big announcement that I've been working behind the scenes. And there's a couple of other announcements, which none of them affect this show. 
But the other one is, as of next week, I announced this also, I have joined the Libertarian Republic, in case you don't know who they are. They're Austin Peterson's site. I'm going to be a columnist for them. Because we need to start... Or sorry, not we. I can't say what we need to do. I need to start doing a lot more to for your country. Because I need to... I have a unique perspective of your country. I have a unique... Hey, I'm not an American saying how great an American is. I'm saying as an Irishman, as an outsider, as someone who has admired your nation. And I'm going to share it with as many people as I can why I love your nation. And then it's up to you guys to do some self-reflection, look in the mirror and kind of go, that's why John loves us. Is that who we are today? Is that, do we hold those principles today? Do we fight for those principles today? Are we caught up in the left-right dynamic? Are we caught up in the, hey, Trump is great, Trump is crap? Hey, the left suck, the right suck. Which dynamic are you talking about? Because the laws of nature do not change. The laws of man do. Because it's all about opinions. It's not about facts. So I ask you, please consider joining me on these two ventures. One, getting the show out there to new people, getting the special, the serial for Independence Day out there. But also, uh, please check out Libertarian Republic. There's a lot of different opinions on I don't agree with all of them. I don't even agree with all my colleagues on The Blaze. But they'll make you think. And that's what we need to do. Tell I'm excited about my new project because I really am. It, I, I hope this is coming across how excited I am to spend the Independence Day week with you talking about the wonderful Declaration of Independence. And I said earlier on that I think the timing is absolutely perfect because today I want to make the case of why the timing is absolutely critical. There's one principle that we will go into later on during Independence Day week special, but one of the things that I believe makes America exceptional, your founding fathers, incredible men, especially when you compare them to politicians and media people today, is when you read the Declaration of Independence, they could have been like every other nation and literally went, hey, we're a group of people who have been egregious, who have been treated badly, who have these issues with said country, and we just want to get away from them. Ireland did this against England. Ireland basically said, hey, look, we don't like England. We would much prefer to be ruled by an Irishman because we're Irish, not an English person. And an English person has no right to rule over an Irish person. And they had this term, home rule. There was many revolutions. If you go through the history of the world, you'll find this. Hey, you're an oppressor. You're our ruler. We don't like you. You're a dictator. You're a despot. You're a tyrant. They'll use all these words. And they'll just fight to get rid of you. And then eventually, maybe they win, maybe they lose. But if they win, then they all of a sudden go, hey, we're Irish people or we're Romans or we're whatever you are. What do we do? Your founders said, no, 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 no. We're going to be different. We're charting our revolution on a different course. Because our revolution isn't really against the British. The British are just the, the human manifestation of a tyrant that are oppressing us right now. But we're not fighting against the English. We're fighting against tyranny. And that is why when we declare our independence from Britain, yes, I will list every issue I have with the British people, or as close to them as we possibly can. But before I do that, I'm going to tell you what I am for. I am for the principle that all men are created equal. And they have certain rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But that is what your revolution was about. The revolution, as John Adams said, was fought in the hearts and minds before a bullet was even shot. To paraphrase John Adams, the second president of the United States. 
I look at America today, and I love you so much, but I look at people, specifically my colleagues in the media, and what people share. All you want to do, especially my friends on the right, is focus on why the left suck. Why the Democrats must never get power. Why the Democrats are so radical and so extreme. That is all I hear my colleagues talk about. My friends on the left do the exact same thing about Donald Trump. He's Hitler. He's a Nazi. He's a white supremacist. He's a racist. No one ever talks about what they are for. But today I want to talk to you about principles that both sides are violating. You know, I don't have a side in this race. I don't have, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a liberal. Well, I actually am a liberal. I'm a classic liberal. But, you know, when you say liberal, no one understands the difference between liberal and classic liberal anymore because language has not, has not been taught. Meanings aren't been taught. I am a classic liberal in many sense. I don't identify as a conservative or a libertarian. I talk about principles, not labels. But I want to talk to you about some principles because one part of the ideology in America I thought I had a lot in common with, which I found out I actually don't because it's words only, was the Tea Party. I've been politically homeless all my life because I've always been this person looking for somewhere I belong. I found that with the Tea Party back in 2010, 2011, 2012, all the way on. Because I want to talk to you about some principles that I actually was involved in the Tea Party. I actually spoke for the, at a Tea Party rally on DC. I want to talk to you about some principles. And let's talk about the self-reflection, shall we? Let's not just talk about the left. If you're a Republican or a conservative or a libertarian, let's not talk about the left. Let's talk about our own side. Let me talk to you about some stats. You know, one of the common themes I heard during the Tea Party was Obama. Oh, my God, Obama. Obama's so bad on the debt. Like, Obama is horrifically bad. Like, Obama is, like, the most worst spender of all time. Let me give you some statistics. Obama, in his eight years, added $8.95 trillion to the debt. It was horrific. This came after Obama in 2019, or 2009, sorry, called George Bush unpatriotic for adding $4 trillion. And all the unnecessary wars in Iraq and Afghanistan adding to the debt. And if you were, if you were old enough, you'll remember those days. Obama doubled that. Obama was the worst since sliced bread. Obama added so much more to the debt than anyone else. In fact, he added more to the debt than every other president combined. Remember all the rallies, the Tea Party rallies, all Mark Levine, Glenn Beck, everyone rallying about this, Ben Shapiro, everyone on the right. They're the big guys, but also the small guys on Fox News, other, you know, shows. Everyone rallied, even people like me who were, you know, relatively nobody. We all spoke out about this. The stats about Obama's figures, let's just break this down into terms. In his first term, Obama added $5.44 trillion dollars. Now, I will use a talking point from the left, quote-unquote. The reason it was so high was because John, you know, it was the, he inherited the great, the greatest recession since the Great Depression. Oh, record unemployment, you know, 11% unemployment. Oh, food stamps. It was crazy. Of course the debt exploded. It wasn't really his fault. It was all George Bush. I'm not saying that's true. That's their argument. In his second quarter, Sorry, not second quarter. In his second term, he only added $3.51 trillion to the debt. So he reduced it from 5.44 to 3.51 first term to second term. 
So that is when he used to go around going, I've reduced the debt more than anyone else. That's what he used to, that was what he was talking about. He just reduced the growth of debt. He didn't actually stop growth debt. He didn't stop it. He didn't, um, you know, reduce the debt. He didn't pay off any of it. He just basically said, Hey, I'm just reducing the amount we're borrowing compared to last year. That was his talking point. All in all, he added 8.95 trillion. Now let's fast forward to today. Everyone, and again, I'm going to use the talking points of the relevant side, the Republican talking points, the people who love Donald Trump, love to talk about, well, this is a historic economy. It's a record unemployment. Look at how great the Trump economy is. Look, and not only is it great for other people, you know, it's the lowest black unemployment. It's the lowest. It's the lowest. The food stamps are down. Everyone's getting more money. Take-home pay is starting to go up. This is a historic economy. The Trump economy is wonderful. Okay. What's it doing to the debt? Now, obviously, these are projected numbers. He has added, in two and a half years, $2.5 trillion to the debt. He's on tr- he's on track, by the end of his first term, to add $3.73 trillion in his first term. $3.73 trillion. He's on track to add more in his first term than Barack Obama did in his second term. And this is a historic economy. Now, before people get, well, there's John going attacking Trump. I'm not actually going to attack Trump. I'm going to make a point. Bear with me on this. I'm giving you the raw numbers. If you go by the CBO, and the CBO is the Congressional Budget Office, and they like monitor the economy and they make these projections, they actually predict the path that America is on because debt, debt repayments are going to go up, interest is going to go up, spending is going to go up. That in, if Trump is re-elected and America stays on the current course it's on, then under Trump's second term, he's going to borrow $5.05 trillion, which would put him at $8.78 trillion over eight years. That's just under Obama's 8.95. Obama was a nightmare because he borrowed so much money. Yet, where are the commentators talking about the debt today? I raised the debt as the first issue for a couple of reasons. One, because we are so, you are so ingrained in presidential power. It's so scary. There's going to be a team through today's show, what the president actually is responsible for. It's very simplistic. This is Trump's debt. It's Obama's debt. It was Bush's debt. It was Clinton's debt. If you go by the Constitution, that is not a correct statement. If you're a constitutionalist, that is not a correct statement. Because the power of the purse does not lie with the president. It lies with the House. This president obviously has power, he has veto power, or if he has to sign a budget into place, then he has that power, or he can veto it. But the power of the purse lies with the House. And the House, whether it's Republicans under Nancy Pelosi, whether it's, sorry, Democrats under Nancy Pelosi, Floydian slip there, um, Republicans under Paul Ryan, under Mitch McCarthy, under John Boehner, under Kevin McCarthy, you know what? It doesn't change. They all abdicate their power, the power of the purse. They don't do budgets. You do reconciliation processes. You do continuing amendments. You don't actually go through proper procedures. Who's talking about the debt today? Who's going to call the other side under patriotic? Who's consistent on this debt? Why did I start here? Because there are very few people 
who are consistent on this issue. And I actually today, I'm, I'm not going to get into the politics, but I'm actually going to call some people out and give people credit for being consistent. Because there was a bill in the Senate this week, or last week, I think it was. Now, this is a different body. The Senate does not have the power of the purse. That is the House. But when you talk about government, everyone has a role. Rand Paul, whether you like him or not, is very consistent on certain issues. One of the things he has been pushing for since I think he got into the Senate was this penny plan he has. This is a plan to balance balance your budget in five years. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I like this plan, but I don't think it goes far, far enough. I think you need to start reducing it. I think you need to have surpluses. At your debt right now is $22.4 trillion. You need to start reducing it, not adding it, not doing balanced budgets. But this is a good first step. What was his radical plan? Well, his radical plan was called the penny plan. And basically, what it is, is in simplest terms, for every dollar the US government spends, going forward, it can only send, spend 98 cents. Does that seem like a radical? Does that sound draconian to you? Or does that sound pretty moderate? Well, he put this bill, and they in the Senate, they actually voted on it. Now, before I tell you how this vote went, I just want you to bear in mind of one thing. Right now, you have a split Congress. You have the Republicans having the Senate and the Democrats owning the House. One of the reasons I don't like politics and I don't get involved in it is because they have what you call these show-me votes. And what they'll do is, and both sides do this, Republicans and Democrats, especially in a split Congress, they'll put up this bill and it'll get all Republican support so that the Republicans can go back to their district, especially around election season, going, look how hawkish I am, or, or I'm a fiscal conservative, I voted for this plan, because they know if it gets to the House, the chances are it's not going anywhere. Do you think the Democrats in the Democratic House, forget what the vote would be, do you think Nancy Pelosi's bringing that bill to the floor? Do you think Nancy Pelosi's going, yeah, you know what? You know, I'm going to let everyone vote on the the penny plan to cut 2% of the budget. Or do you think that's dead on arrival? Just do you think about that? Now, bearing all that in mind, and this is why I avoid politics like the plague, there are 53 senators in the Republican Senate. How many of them voted for this penny plan? Because the result might shock you. The result was 22 and I want to call out those 22 people to say, good job, at least you were consistent. Obviously, you have the, the usual people, if you're a conservative, Rand Paul, Mike Lee, Ted Cruz. But there was others, Braso, Blackburn, Braun, Cornyn, Capo, uh, Danes, Ernst, Fisher, Grassley, Isk, uh, Iskimon, uh, Kennedy, Langford, uh, Rich, Romney. Even Mitt Romney voted for this plan. Mitt Romney's not a fiscal conservative. Ben Sass. Uh, Scott, Shelby, Tillis, and Toomey of Pennsylvania. You had many Republicans like the usual people, like Lindsey Graham, even Marco Rubio voted against this plan. What are you for? Because we can stand here all day long and talk about the Democrats, about how bad the Democrats are, about how dangerous they are, about if how if they win in 2020, they will add to your debt. Well, guess what? What are you doing right now? You won't, you're not adding to, you're adding to your debt just at the same levels as Obama did. Where's the consistency? Where's the Tea Party doing rallies about, hey, let's reduce the debt? Where's the Tea Party and other people and other commentators talking about reducing the size of government? 
Because here's where I want to bring you back to... Do you remember 2012? If you've been around politics, you'll remember this, Gaff. 2012 was the, the Republican primary. Everyone was running to run against Barack Obama. People used to say, including myself, you know, how can you lose to, to Barack Obama? And a tin of orange juice would beat that guy because he's so bad. Just be consistent. Well, one of the most famous gaffes of the 2012 election was belonged to Texas's own Rick Perry. He was asked in a debate, he's like, you know, you want to cut all this government, you want to cut federal spending, and you actually have a plan to eliminate three government departments of government. What are they? And he's like, uh, the three agencies of government, when I get there, are gone are uh, commerce, education, and uh, 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 what's the third one? Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, I can't. Oops. And then a couple of minutes later, I think it was like 10, 12 minutes later, he said, oh, by the way, it was the Department of Energy I was reaching for a while ago. And he basically got slammed. The reaction to him was, you gotta get out of the race, man. Your, your campaign is dead. You know, if you, you know, you're, you know, if you were like, you know, that, the monitor you have in the hotel, beep, 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 beep. When he said that, you know, what's the third one there? Beep. It flatlined. His campaign was dead. There was no coming back from it. But we laugh at that. I'm sharing this up as a joke for a bit of humor. But when was the last time a politician actually ran on, you know what, I actually want to cut these departments. If I'm president, these departments are gone. When do we run on these? What, what are, yeah, I know the Democrats are bad and they're really progressive and the Electoral College. I'm not saying don't focus on them, but tell me what you're for. Don't tell me what you're against. I know you're against socialism. Great. I got it. I agree with you. We are in agreement here. But what are you for? What, who's cutting the, the government departments? Let me give you another example. I spoke at one rally for the Tea Party, because it was only one, because I'm only there once or twice a year. But I spoke in D.C., and the rally was the Abolish the IRS rally. It was 2013, I think it was, around 2014. It was after Obama's re-election. I think it was 2014. doesn't matter. But you remember it was all about the targeting of Tea Party groups and they weren't getting their, their tax-exempt status and they were being held up and there was a load of paperwork and then there was that whole situation in Ohio. We all wanted to abolish the IRS. In fact, if you remember back to the 2012 campaign again against Obama, there was a candidate called Herman Cain. And Herman Cain had a tax policy, the 999 plan. Where's those plans? Where's the abolish the IRS? Are we all of a sudden now, because Trump is president, we're like, yeah, you know what, all those issues we had with the IRS, totally fine, don't worry about it. Trump has got it. Or do we actually want to be consistent? Were we just against government when it was Obama, but now when Trump is in, our guy is in, it's like, ah, government isn't that bad. But let me bring you back to taxation. Taxation... I get I am in a vast minority when I say taxation is theft. I get people don't like that. They're like, well, you have to have some taxes. Okay, well, Herman Cain ran in 2012. He had one policy that made him big, successful, that got him to the top of the pole, and then he went right back down because he didn't have much else. His plan was a brilliant plan. I, I'm a, I'll be honest, I'm a full disclosure. I'm a fair tax kind of guy, which is 0% income tax. It's all sales taxes. But I'll take Herman Cain's plan. It was 9% personal income tax, 9% federal sales tax, and a 9% corporation tax. Done. Simple. Easy. Boom. Where's that plan? Where's the debates over the flat and the fair tax that we used to have? Now, you're so polarized that you call Donald Trump's tax plan historic. Now, before, again, you go, well, there he is, there he has to attack Trump. No, I'm not attacking him. Look, there's not one tax cut you can put in front of me that I'm going to be unhappy about. 
The only unhappiness I will have with the tax cut is the size of it. But we, Do- Herman Cain went 9%. Literally, Donald Trump historic tax plan, and it was a good plan. His The tax rates before his tax cut were 10% at the lowest to 396 at the highest. His tax plan made them 10% the lowest and 37% at the highest. And he doubled the deduction. That's all it did. Now, I'm not going to complain about that. As I said, you could put any tax cut in front of me kind of go, hey, is John going to be on board of this? Yep, automatically. If, if it gets you to keep more of your money, I'm forest. I'm there. You don't, I don't care whether it's Donald Trump, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell. I don't care. You name the politician. Heck, Elizabeth Warren. Ber- I know these would never do it, but Bernie Sanders. If Bernie Sanders came in. I have this little tax cut. It's for the small. Okay, cool. If it gets to keep more of the money, I'll, I'll be there. I'll support it with you. I mightn't support your other principles, but when it comes to tax cuts and keeping your own money, I'll be there. I'm, I'm the, I'm yes. I'm, I'm like the, I don't know. I'm like, you know, I'm, the, I'm, I'm your best friend, regardless of your side. John's a guaranteed yes. I might say, can we not do more? Can we not do other things? But I'm a guaranteed yes, no matter what side. Who talks about these plans anymore? But then I bring you back to just one last element of government that's going to annoy a lot of people who I listen because I know a lot of people don't like this guy right now. Are we consistent on principles? Yeah, I know the left suck on certain issues. One candidate, just on a mash. Now, before you go, oh, John, don't defend him. Don't, don't, don't. I'm not, I don't, I'm not getting involved in the just on a mash Donald Trump debate. That's, that's politics. That's not what I am. I talk principles. Just on a mash had an amendment on the House floor this week to put a bit of a limit on the domestic surveillance under Section 702 of the FISA Act. Are we consistent on the Fourth Amendment? Is it such a consistent principle to go, you know what? If you want to listen to someone's phone calls, get a warrant. Because the Fourth Amendment is clear. You have a right to privacy. You have a right to be secure in your persons and your papers. Are we consistent on this? Because this bill lost. And Justin Amash, whether you like him or not, try to, you know, he was really trying to do the sales job. He was, he was talking about the, you know, the Republicans, you know, if you want to be consistent on the Constitution, you got to vote for my plan. Democrats, if you just want to stick it to Trump, you vote for this plan. He was really trying to push it. I'm not saying I agree or disagree with it. That's for you guys to decide. But it went to the House and it lost 252 to 175. What are we for? Are we for privacy? Are we for putting limits on government? Are we for just, hey, you know what? I get there's terrorism in the world. I get there are bad actors out there. Get a warrant. Go to a judge, make your case, and then the judge signs off on it. No problem. Then, you know, you... you, Well, sorry, there is a problem, which is another issue then about, you know, you have to talk about the court system. But at least have an honest debate. Can Can we at least get to the point of get a warrant to surveil people? Or are we just going, you know what, the government has a right to everything. What are you for? What I am trying my best to do, and I'm going to start with the Independence Day specialist, I'm going to make the case of what I think America was for. The ideals of America. That's what I try and do on each and every show that I do. Because you were an exceptional nation. You told the world what you were for. Simply put, you were for the laws of nature. The fundamental belief that all men are created equal. And that you have certain rights. And government's job is not to give you rights or take your rights away. Your job of government was to protect those rights. This is not a left-right issue or a Republican-Democrat issue. This is a human issue. 
This is not, hey, is it good or bad? This is a case of what principles are you for? And I would ask you to do some self-reflection. It's easy to talk about the Democrats being bad. I agree with you. They scare the hell out of me, some of the stuff they're coming up with. They really do. The, you know, the abolition of the Electoral College, reparations. Look, I'm on your side. I'm not pro-Democrat. I'm pro-principles. And I will be for those principles, whether it's a Democrat violating them, a Republican violating them, a Conservative violating them, a Libertarian violating them. I don't care. You can pick any label you want. I am not for any label. I am for principles. And how do we share those principles with as many people as possible? Twelve score and three years ago, the unfinished promise of unity is at Mercury Studios. You need to be here to see this. June 29th through July 7th, it's going to be incredible and unlike any museum you've ever set foot in. We have augmented reality experiences. You'll see the artifacts actually come to life on your smartphones. And we've got special tours from David Barton and Glenn Beck. But there's only a few spots on each of these tours left. For general admission and guided tours, go to mercuryone.org or call 972-499-4747 for more information. This brings me to the next principle I actually want to discuss with you because there's a lot of things going on in your country right now and there's, you know, a lot of people who are, you know, big talking people in the media who, you know, have a big platform are sharing principles that I think need to be discussed. One of them was this week where Candace Owens, who, and, you know, full disclosure, I don't know her, don't, never met her, um, don't know anything about her. Um, she's obviously big in certain, she was big in turning points. She's doing stuff with Prager. She's going out and talking. She's doing Blexit and all these different things. And she's tweeted this week, and I think it's important that we discuss these. If I were president, the punishment for burning the U.S. flag would be Leaving your, uh, renunciation of your citizenship. No jail time, no fine. Simply one year to liquidate your assets and get the hell out of our country. In exchange, we'd extend citizenship to a hard-working legal immigrant. Then she went on and said, because people called her out on it, First Amendment has limitations. You can't yell fire in a movie theater without consequences. You can't yell ra- racial epithets at someone without consequences. And if I were president, you sure as hell wouldn't burn an American flag without consequence. So let's discuss this firstly. And I can only talk for myself, just on a small point. Can we... S- what is the role of government? What is the role of government? Is the role of government to give or take rights or is it to protect your rights? This idea scares the hell out of me just as much as what the left talk about. The idea that you can do something, then no fine, no jail time, no nothing. You do something, you got, you got a year to get the hell out of the country. That is, does that scare you? Is there any way you can just imagine that power being in one body or in even in Congress, even in the Constitution, where you can, is, does it does it take you much to visualize how that could be really badly abused? Let me give you an example. Hey, if I were president, the punishment for not believing in climate change would be re- renunciation of citizenship. No jail time, no fine. Simply one year to liquidate your assets and get the hell out of our country because you're a climate denier. Do you see how this power could go wrong? 
Do you understand, one of the reasons your founders were incredible to me, sorry, one of the many, many, many reasons was because you actually, actually understood limited government. That they understood that, yes, there is a role for government, there's the constitution, yes, there's 18 articles or 18 clauses in Article 1, Section 8 of what Congress can do, but that government works best when it's limited, when it's as close to the people as possible. This idea that you can have government settling, you know, ideas, so that's the first thing. Is it a good idea just to say, hey, if you do something we don't like, you got to get out of the country? Is that something you're comfortable with? Because don't think, you may like this, even if you're okay with this idea, well, well, John, I don't like burning flags, and you're totally on board with that. Okay, do, does it settle you the principle? You might like that policy, but the principle says, are you okay with it? Because what happens if Bernie Sanders wins in 2020? If you set the principle, well, if you do some things the government doesn't like, get the hell out of the country. What would Bernie Sanders do? What would Kamala Harris do? What would Elizabeth Warren do? Or think of someone worse. What would they do with that power? Is that is that a power you want to give to the government? You see, the idea of government that I see in so many circles today, because I have friends on both left and right, is when it's their side, everyone just talks about the policy of when it's their side, when they have power. Well, look, my side, I trust my side. My side would never abuse it. But then eventually they always factor, they never factor in that eventually they're going to lose an election. Trump might lose in 2020, he may not. Ever who runs in 2024 to replace Trump, because uh, he's done his two terms, might win or lose. It might be 2040 till the Democrats win the presidency again. But eventually you will have a Democratic president. Do you want the presidency to have more power or less power? Because everyone just seems to think about, well, if it's my person, I'm okay with it. That's why we need to discuss principles. Second point, and I can only speak for myself on this, as someone who tried for 15 years to get into your country, 15 years, I tried every aspect, I tried the lottery, I had a job offer from Glenn Beck, I couldn't get there because I don't have a college degree and I didn't have paid work experience doing the job he wanted me to do, which was research, which by the way, even if you dislike everything I say and you're the person who left me a one-star review... You would have to say, I know something about your country. Even if you disagree with everything, you know what? I know something about your country. So there's clearly a public base there you could say I have experience in, but that didn't count. I tried to do go over there as a volunteer, earning no money off my own savings. Couldn't get there. Could not get there. I have tried every way for 15 years to get to your country. I don't want to be the person to replace a non-American or an American who isn't deemed worthy to be an American. I don't want to live in that America where, hey, guess what? You got deported because you did something the government didn't like. And guess what? Because I want to be legal, I now get to replace you. That is not something I want. If that's the case, guess what? I'd be Now, I'm not looking anymore, but if I was still looking to move to your country and that was the, the, the policy, I'd be going, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. I don't want to live in that country. Why? Because I would get there, and I guarantee you I would eventually annoy someone that maybe I'd get deported. Because that is not a power government should have. But let's actually talk about flag burning, shall we? Because again, this issue just keeps coming up and up and up. And everyone, when they talk to this, every time, I can guarantee you this is going to happen. I'm going to get some private messages from people, because I love engaging with you, even when you disagree with me. I guarantee you someone's going to say the following to me in a private message. John, are you defending flag burners? Do you have sympathy towards them? This is not about flag burning. Look, I love the American flag. 
I have one. I have many in my house. I have one on my office, a big one. And it's not just like, it's an expensive American flag. It's, you know, a really good standard one. I have an American flag right in front of me behind my desk in a frame with my cousin who fought for your, your military. I have many, I have four flags down in my living room where the TV is. Four little smaller flags. I love your flag. I also have a don't tread on me flag. So I love your flag. I think if you burn the American flag, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. But this is not about being an idiot. This is not in question. What is in question is principles and what world you want to live in. Because if you say you can't do something, well, that starts a precedent that the government can tell you what you can and cannot do. That starts a precedent of going, well, you know what? If you're okay with saying you can't do that, where does the line go? Again, don't think about people on your side. Think about what Bernie Sanders would push it. Hey, you can't say this. Especially in this PC culture where people are in England are been thrown out of classrooms because they're like, hey, I don't see why there's more than two genders. And been told, hey, you need to keep that opinion to your house. Where does it end? It is speech. But also it boils down to property. Property. If I go buy something, whether it's an American flag, whether it's a book, whether it's a magazine, I own it. I own it. I can do what I want with it. If I decide, you know what, I'm going to go to Walmart or everywhere it is and I'm going to go buy an American flag and pay my hard-earned money to buy an American flag and I think, you know what's going to be fun? I'll get them. I'm going to burn the American flag. I have that right. You do not have the right to control my property. But here's the bigger thing. The flag is all it is, is a flag. It's a piece of fabric woven together. My one that's more expensive is hand-stitched with each flag, the, the, the 50 stars. It's a beautiful flag. All that is is a piece of fabric with sewing in it. It's a piece of white fabric, you know, uh, stitched together with a piece of white, with another bit of red, with another bit of white. In the top-hand corner, there's a big piece of blue fabric with 50 stars stitched into it. It's a beautiful flag. I think it's the most gorgeous flag out there for a country. I love it. But all it is is a piece of fabric. You can burn that all day long. It's not what it represents. All you're burning is a fabric. What we need to talk about is the idea that it represents. And that idea has been tarnished. And one of those is free speech. Do you actually stand with Voltaire? Was Voltaire right? Here's a question for you. Voltaire is one of his, it was a philosopher, one of his most famous quotes is, I may not like what you say, but I will defend to my debt your right to say it. Do you believe in that? Is that true? Is that accurate? Or will you only defend the speech that you like? The answer, in my eyes, is not less speech. It's more speech. But it goes one step further than that. And here's why I'll defend flag burners, and it is a very personal reason for me. Because who do you want to, what world do you want to live in? Do you want to live in a world with truth? Or with what you think you need to know. Because here's the thing. If I see you burning an American flag, and let's let's do the two worlds where my world where you should be allowed to burn the American flag, and your world where another world that says you're not allowed to. If I see you burning the American flag, it's a great mental note for me. If you're like, hey, you know what, I've got this grievance. I'm going to burn the American flag. Okay. I'm not hanging around with you. There's, there is no way we're finding common ground. It's, it's kind of one of those issues. I'm just like, if that's your answer, if, if you think that's making your message, you're losing people. 
I also know a lot of people on both sides of the aisle who feel this way. I know a lot of Democrats who will look at it and go, you know what, I, I may agree with what you say, but burning the American flag makes me go against you. Makes me go, you're an idiot. I don't want to associate with you. So I know who I want to associate and who, who I don't because of free speech. However, if we live in a world where it's illegal to burn the American flag, guess what? You may be so angry and so hateful inside of you, and you might, you might be like, hey, I've got this issue, I've got this grievance, I want to burn the American flag. But because it's illegal and you, wanna, you don't want to get in trouble with the law because you don't want to be deported and being told to get out of the country, I'll never know. I may associate with you and knowing you inside are burning flags. Or maybe going to a secret ceremony. And I'd be like, hey, how you doing, Paul? That, hey, that's Paul. He's a good guy. He's awesome. But Paul, on his weekends, goes and burns American flags. And I don't know about it, but I think Paul's a good guy. If I know Paul burns American flags, I'd be like, yeah, me and Paul, no. Different. What world do you want to live in? But let me bring this one step further. Because the right in America under the Tea Party used to call themselves constitutionalists. If you are with Candace Owens, first of all, the First Amendment has the same limits the Second Amendment has. Let's be clear about that. That is a principle, and it is government's right to protect those rights, not give them or take them away. But second of all, we need to have conversations about, you know what's going on? Why is everyone so obsessed with the presidency? Candace, I encourage you to read the Constitution, because this idea that if you were president, you wouldn't be able to burn the American flag without consequence, the Article 2 of the Constitution has no power. This idea that if you're president, you all of a sudden get to dictate what happens is not constitutional. Why do we have to continue this game where both sides seek to use the presidency as a way to enforce their will on others? Do you actually want to follow the Constitution and say, you know what, listen, all legislative power shall be vested in Congress and Article 2 is nothing more than a figurehead. If you need a perfect modern day example, think the Queen of England. She does nothing. She has no power. She's just like a little figurehead. She does state visits. Yeah, sure, she has power technically where she can shut down Parliament, but she hasn't done it since 1700. So clearly the precedent has been set. She doesn't get involved. The Queen of England is so nonchalant when it comes to politics. Everyone wants to know, and everyone, all the media, depending on your objective, you know, wants to do, you know, last week she had Donald Trump. Well, you know, the Queen loved having Donald Trump. The Queen hated him. The Queen said nothing. The Queen said nothing about Barack Obama. The Queen says nothing about these state visits. She, her job is to be a figurehead, to represent the monarch, to represent the British people. Love you or hate you, agree with you or disagree with you. She's a figurehead. She knows her role. And she does it, I don't, I'm not defending the Queen, but she does it pretty well. That is what Article 2 is. Do you want that? Because here's the thing. Look, if you're like, you know what, I want the President to have more power. Okay, I disagree, but we're not enemies. If you're like, I like the, you know, the President having this much power, you know, been able to do, if Congress doesn't act, I will. Okay, that's cool. I just disagree with you. You're just more in line with a more European way of thinking of a figure, more than a figurehead. Okay, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying we disagree. But can we at least have the intellectual conversation of, is the Constitution relevant? Should we follow it? And should we put this where congressmen, both Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and libertarians and progressives, every time there's an election, 
they go to the house and they put their hand on a Bible or a Quran or a Torah or some other document and say, hey, guess what? I'm going to preserve, defend and protect the Constitution of the United States and then go and violate it every day that they're in office. Should we just get rid of it? Can we have these discussions? Because here's the thing. If you decide it's your right, I'm not an American. I don't have any right. I'll just encourage you to talk about your history and your principles. I'll encourage you and remind you why you're exceptional. But if you chart a new course and it's everything I disagree with, that's cool. I'm still going to say, I'm going to still love America. I'm going to still love your people. I'll just disagree with the path you're going politically. But can we at least be intellectually honest? Is that possible? Or do we just all play this, continue playing this game on all sides where we'll preserve the fen and the Constitution? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, we will. Yeah, yeah, and I'll put my hand on a Bible and say that. Yeah, no problem at all. I, yeah, but you know, I'm going to, I'm going to vote for policies that violate. Do you want this power? These are the questions. Yes, I know the left suck. Yes, we can talk about the Electoral College, which we will. Yes, we need to talk about socialism, which we will. But we also need to talk about what we are for. Are you for the Constitution? Are you for free speech? Even speech that you don't like. Even speech that makes you very uncomfortable. Are you for the Second Amendment? Are you for the Fourth Amendment? Are you for the Fifth Amendment? What are you for and what are you against? Because if you're not, you need to make the case. And if you are for these principles and you see your own side, we need to start, you need to start calling out your own side, going, hey, look, I'll vote for Trump. I'll vote for the Republican Party. But you know what? You're not doing your job. You're violating your oath of office. This is the question we need to ask ourselves. What do you want to be for? As always, I'm on social media. I'm on Twitter, Freedom Disciple, Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58 Send me a friend request. Send me a follow. I love engaging with you guys. Um, a lot of you engage with me privately, you know, because we can actually have a conversation. I am very approachable. Most people would say that. Um, even if you disagree with me, if you're like, hey, I disagree with you. Hey, this is where I think you're wrong. So I, I really appreciate that. And I was missing last week and because of uh, I had a hospital procedure on my shoulder and just was not in a fit state to do anything. I was in agony. Um, but the sh- week before that, two weeks ago, we did a show, a special show on Deutsche Bank and the economy. Thank you so much for sharing that with your family and your friends. You know, reached a load of new people. So it's a big warning and I w- it's still relevant. And I would ask you, you know, if you re- please consider sharing it again with your family and your friends so everyone is warned about this, you know, economic issue and they can decide if, hey, John's full of crap and John's wrong and this is why John's wrong. Cool. Once you were thinking about it, I'm happy. Whether you agree with me or disagree with me, my aim is not ever to tell you what to think. My aim is to sort of pose things in questions and in principles so that you can think about where you find it, where you stand on the issues. And if you listen to me and you disagree with me 100% of the time, I'm okay with that. I'll still be civil. We're not enemies. You may see me as an enemy, but I don't see you as one. I want to talk to you about an issue about... One of the things that I admire about the American people, you know, they're, you know, I do this all the time. I say one of the things and it's like, it's like another one, John, come on. How many are there? There's a lot. But one of the things I admired about your people from even as a kid going over there for the first time, your people are different to, to Europeans, to, to, to Irish people. And one, it's very hard to put into words because it's just a feeling you get. And, you know, when you're talking about principles and you're talking about facts and, you know, nature's law and man's law, feelings, yes, they have a role, but it's, you know, it's hard to quantify because what I feel may not be accurately describing it to you. 
But, you know, Irish people are very, you know, pessimistic, you know, kind of, you know, if I was to use a phrase, you know, half, gla- you know, the, the glass is half empty. You know, Americans are more, the glass is half full, baby, and I'm going to fill it all the way. You know, this optimism, there's this can-do attitude in America. And I've known this for, you know, nearly 25 years now, more maybe. And it's just, there's just, your people are amazing. You innovate. Well, there's a, a creepy, there's a sense creeping into the mindset of Mer- Americans today, especially where tech is involved, where there's not that confidence. There's not that, you know, optimism. There's not that, you know, we can do it. And I want to talk to you about it because I think it's critically important. The issues I'm talking about are, you know, how many times do you go on social media and see, oh, Facebook is fascist book. They don't respect free speech. Well, free speech is not a a principle about a company. It's about a government principle. It's about eternal principles. You know, how many times do you see people give out about YouTube? Look, I'm not defending any of these companies because truth be told, if I ran Facebook, I'd run it a lot different. I'd run YouTube a lot different. But you know what? That's the great thing about free markets and about, you know, innovation. Um, uh, the idea that, hey, you know what? I would always do different. You know, it's Monday morning quarterback. You know, we say this all the time, you know, even in sports. You know, I, I would have thrown a different pitch, you know, and that, you know, on that route, I would have ran instead of thrown the ball or, you know, I would have went for the Hail Mary. We all do this. But it's easy. But at the end of the day, they have a fundamental right to run their company how they want. Now, do I defend and feel sorry for Steven Crowder and everything that's happened to him? Sure. Look, I don't want anyone to be deplatformed. I'm the I'm the guy who just defended people burning the flag. Look, I, you know, I dislike people like Alex Jones. Do I want to see them deplatformed? No. But a company has a right. But I don't want to talk to you about the, the right of free speech and about Steven Crowder. I actually want to speak to you about the American people. Because one of the things that you used to be, and I think you need to get back again, is I think Americans need to get back to being disruptors. You know, you disrupt the, the, the apple cart at your family. You know, you charted this course and you spoke about a thing called nature's law at your family that no one had ever really heard about before. You spoke about the different role of government. You very much went in a different direction. You set up a set of principles that let people innovate. I use this example all the time because people always go, oh, you're always defending America, John. You're always just, you just love it, you know, but it's not based on anything. You know, America is exceptional. Eh, blah, 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 blah. Prove it. Okay. And it's very, I always, I always find it's the simplest thing to prove because I always say to people, I want you to go off into your own quiet space and I want you to go read about history. And I don't want you to let me influence you in any way. I want you to pick a section of society. Pick any one you want. Communication, health, standard of living, education, entertainment, uh, farming, agriculture, food, medicine, uh, transport. Take any section of society you want. Don't let me influence you. Or even if it's another one. And just look at the, it from 0 AD to 1700 or 1800 AD. And look at the advancements, even though they are there, but they are minute in those 1800 years. Then America's found that uncertain principles come into place where, you know, you have a right to pursue your happiness. You have a right to keep the fruits of your own labor. And guess what happened from 1800 to 2019, 2019? Why is it in those two, 219 years, there's innovation, one, ten, hundred, a thousand, a million times more than in the prior 1800 years? 
It's a set of principles. It's a set of ideas. America was the great disruptor to the apple cart, but your people were as well. I want you to talk to you about some industries because so many people think today that, you know, well, Facebook just has a monopoly. Look, Facebook has an advantage. Twitter has an advantage. YouTube has an advantage. Google has an advantage. But they don't own exclusive rights to innovation. Because I want to talk to you about your history. You know, back in the day, there was many companies who used to do printing presses. One of the things that made America different, especially in the role of fate, was the creation of the printing press, where fate actually grew a lot. Why? Because before, people had to go to mass and kind of had to, you know, might get to see the Bible at church. You know, it was up on the pulpit. And then you'd hear what the Bible said on a Sunday. You'd hear a reading and you'd hear a gospel. Or depending on your faith, you might hear two readings and a gospel. And you might hear a psalm. And then you'd hear the, 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 the priest or the pastor talk about it. When the innovation of the printing press came, everyone kind of went, yeah, I can go to church on a Sunday, but I also got the Bible. I can read it anytime I want. And then because of innovation, it became cheaper and cheaper to print. Every, you know, it wasn't just a luxury to have a Bible, but it just became a staple. It became so much of a staple because of innovation that, you know, you used to go to hotels. There'd always be a Bible there. That's innovation. All these, think of all the advantages that printing press industry had. Think of all the big companies that you had that some are still around today, the likes of Barnes and Noble. And just think of that industry for a second. Not one in that industry created Amazon. It was an outsider. Why was that? Because of an idea, because of a principle. Again, you may like Jeff Bezos, you may hate him. Doesn't matter. It was him and his people around him that created Amazon. It's their hard work and determination that made Amazon a trillion dollar company. Where literally you can buy stuff on Amazon like that. That's just one example. Let me give you another example. Our industry in cars, in automotives, has been a long industry. You know, you, you go, go all the way back to, you know, Henry Ford going bankrupt and failing time and time again. You think of all the stories about him where, you know, the, one of the famous lines about him was, you know, you can have a car any color as you want, as long as it's black. You have the production line. You have all these great American muscle cars. You have Chevy, you have Chrysler. You have companies in Germany like the Audi. You have all these wonderful cars, some really nice. You have English cars, I think it's an English car, Jaguar. You have Ferrari. You have all these amazing cars. The automotive industry was amazing. You know, you have all these cools, you have Lamborghinis. All this car industry, all the automotive smart people. Yet it wasn't an automotive person who came up with maybe one of the coolest and most sought-after cars in 2019 or in 2018, the Tesla. It was Elon Musk. It was an outsider. Yes, the automotive industry had all the advantages, but it was Elon Musk who created the Tesla. But let me give you more examples. Hollywood. You know, Hollywood is this bastion of, you know, hope or of, of power. And, you know, it has all this money behind it. And you have, you see, you know, you see, you watch all these movie results and they make millions upon millions upon millions of dollars every year. You have blockbusters. You have all these people who hire people like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. You know, Jason Statham, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, all these people. You know, who, who know good ideas and bad ideas and package them to make us want to part with our money to go watch them. 
But yet it wasn't that industry that created Netflix. It was an outsider. It was a disruptor who went, you know what? We're going to do it. And the story of Netflix is incredible because they took on blockbusters. Little bit of a side point for you, just to understand how sometimes people in the industry just get stuck in a way of thinking. Blockbusters, remember Blockbusters, you know, it was a chain. If you're young, if you're, you know, under 18, let me explain what Blockbusters was to you. Basically, in the old days, for if you're over 18, the old people, when we wanted to watch a movie, we'd go to Blockbusters and we'd have a, you know, a piece of card in our wallet. It was a membership card and you'd go and you'd go and you'd pick out a box. And it was an empty box with a little sticker on it or a picture on it. And it was like, you know, Terminator 2 or, you know, the newest rock movie. Pick it, you know, whatever movie that's relevant today. Star Wars. And then you'd go up to the counter and you'd give the box. You'd give your membership card. And then you'd go, I want to hire this for a night. And they charge like two bucks, three bucks, four bucks. You know, the, the, obviously the newer it was, the more expensive it was. Well, Blockbuster was this big behemoth. Netflix came out and said, you know what, we're going to actually save you the hassle of going to, you know, getting in your car and having to maybe drive two miles to the blockbusters and then have to like go around all the aisles and see all the different genres and then pick a box and then waste and give your membership card. What we'll do is you just go onto our website, we'll post it to you. Well, one of the reasons blockbusters failed, and I don't know if you notice, it's a, it's not a popular story or not a well-told story. But one of the reasons blockbusters didn't want to change to Netflix and didn't think Netflix was real competition when they did this was because 12% of their revenue, I think it was 12%, it was around 12%, 12% of blockbusters' revenues was from late fees. This idea that you would post stuff to people and then post it back, the idea that you wouldn't have late fees, it was like, hey, we can't lose 12% of our business. Guess what? Blockbusters is now out of business. Netflix is dominant. Netflix are going through, you know, growth. Now, again, I know there's politics about, well, they're doing AOCs and, and you know, Barack Obama's shows. I don't care. I'm just talking to you about the innovation. This idea that you can stream stuff. But let me give you another one. And this one's a bit closer to home for you. You have, I hear people talk in America all the time. Oh, the power of the mainstream media. Oh, you know, Fox and CNN and ABC and um, MSNBC and ABC and all this, the mainstream media, how they suck and they have all this power. Yet it was Glenn Beck, disruptor, who came up with this idea. You know what we're going to do? That, that that mainstream media, you know, it's dead. It's, it's, it's on its last legs. It'll fail eventually. We're going to go on the internet and we're going to stream. And he created GBTV, and then that turned into The Blaze. And then people like Mark Levine followed him and, you know, doing CRTV. And people like Ben Shapiro and The Daily Wire. It's become popular. It's become popular to stream stuff now. You watch more, I don't know about you, but I I watch more on my iPad than I do on TV. It's incredible. Why am I sharing these examples for you? I'm sharing them to talk to you about your history, your country, but your innovation. Look, I'm not going to defend Facebook. I'm not going to defend Twitter or YouTube. I'd run them differently. But this idea that we just sit around all day and think about, oh my God, how bad are they? And complain how bad they are and and do, you know, how bad they are. Okay, great. Point out the injustice. But let's also think about, you're in America. You have advantages as an American person that people like me and other people don't have. This idea of innovation. This idea of still having some aspect of freedom. Create new platforms. 
Don't be the, be the disruptors. Don't be just going, well, this is the way all these things are done. You know, don't be blockbusters. Don't be the printing presses. Don't be the automotive industry. I'm encouraging you. Don't be them. Be the Amazon. Be the Tesla. Be the Netflix. Be the Glenn Beck. Be the Blaze. Be Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson is a guy who I disagree with on some stuff. I agree with a lot of stuff he says. He has said, you know what? Because of things happening on YouTube, he's launched a new free speech platform. Um, he's announced it's called uh, ThinkSpot. I, I don't know much details about it. I'm going to be researching it. But good for him. We have two choices in this world. We can be negative or we can be positive. Your history, and one of the reasons I've always admired your people, was you were always the optimistic people. You were always the people who, it doesn't matter, we'll, we'll make things better. You're the people who said, yeah, we're going to the moon. You said that to an Irish person, they yeah, no, we're not. Shut up and sit down. That's crazy talk. Americans are like, hmm, that's a, yeah, we're going, yeah, yeah, baby, we're going to the moon. Yeah, yeah, we are. That's who you are. That's who you can be again. It's time Americans dream again. You have major issues right now. There is major issues going on in your country. We discuss them here each and every week. But how do you solve them? I believe it's not by complaining, but it's by standing and telling the world what you're for. And innovation and creation. Because it's time to make America dream again. everyone who listens to this show each and every week from the bottom of my heart honestly i can't do this without you um you guys are awesome you, you know you're following me on it on this journey i'm on and i i don't know where i'm going to end up but you know this show is released every saturday about 12 noon eastern we're on every platform it's advert free it's free to listen to it's on soundcloud itunes iHeartRadio, google play stitcher omni fm Castbox, spotify you name it any platform please subscribe if you're a new listener and also if you happen to listen on a place like itunes please leave us a rating and review because we just passed 200 reviews which is amazing and some of your words when you actually leave a review is just amazing and and the rating system the rating helps us find new um new listeners and new people find the show true an algorithm that ever iTunes operates so we honestly I can't do this without you I wish I had a budget of uh, money that I could you know advertise and grow this show but all I can do is share it on social media and then hopefully that you know you enjoy the show and you share it with your family and your friends and I work hard at this show and I'm doing a lot of work on the the Declaration of Independence special I really hope that gets out there because I'm passionate about your nation you may I don't ask you to agree with me all the time but I think I hope it comes across how passionate I am about your message about your principles because you changed the world and it's now time for us to help you change it again because if you ch- you have the message you have the roadmap but I want to finish up today's show because I know it's been heavy I just want to talk to you about feelings and emotions because I remember, and I'm not trying to convert anyone to Christianity or Christianity alert, bum, bum, bum. Um, I remember reading the Bible as a young guy and, you know, I'd read this phrase all the time, hardening of your hearts. You know, you can't get your heart hardened. And I was like, why, why is this? And as I live in 2019, I see it because I see a lot of parts hardening. And I think one of the problems that we have as, as a people is we have more technology to communicate with each other we have ideas again whether you like the company or not you know facebook has brought a lot of people i communicate with a lot of you through facebook this idea you know that you know you can ring someone through facebook for free you know this idea that you can connect with you know lots of people unlimited amount of people on twitter 
you know, this idea that, you know, you have technology advancements like Skype, you know, like, you know, iMessage, you know, Viber, WhatsApp. We have all these innovations to communicate with each other, to connect with each other, to learn more about each other. There is no barriers. You know, you literally can go on to Google and learn about, you know, another country like India or Australia or Afghanistan and learn about their culture, about their people, about their history. You didn't, you, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, it was, a, it was possible, but it was very hard and chances are you needed to have money. You know, you can travel now. You know, I see people, you know, be true on social media. I'm friends with a lot of people and connected. People traveling. You know, people are traveling to places like Kenya. And it's just normal. You know, the world has innovated so much. But because we are living in this world where everything is so political, I think one of the things we are missing for each other is empathy. Empathy towards each other, where if you don't ha- are not on the right side or I don't agree with you, I don't have empathy towards your situation. And I want to share a couple of stories with you just to highlight this point. You know, look, I don't know much about certain... I don't get involved in your personalities and your people in the mainstream. I know some people have met them behind the scenes and, you know, the vast majority of people I've met I haven't really liked. You know, I'm, I don't name names. I just, I haven't found them very nice. I found them very egotistical and all about themselves. It's why I don't, I have no interest in, you know, bad-mouthing people. It's not me. But I don't get involved in it. So I don't defend a lot of people. I don't get involved in, oh, well, they said this and they said that and they're right and they're wrong and I'm on this side. I don't get involved in it. You know, it's not me. But there's this kid um, who was involved in the horrific Parkland shooting, Kyle Kajov. Again, I don't know whether the guy's a good guy. I've never met him. I have no interest in particularly talking to him. But if you saw what happened to him this week, and again, it doesn't matter about his politics. I would say the exact same thing if David Hogg, the same thing happened to David Hogg. And I'm guessing I'm more in, in line with Kyle Kajov than David Hogg. I know David Hogg, I've seen some stuff and I don't like what he says. But he went to, he had a, loads of offers. He was second in his class. Got all these college offers, got, you know, even uh, scholarships, but said, you know, I want to go to Harvard. And then because of who he is, because he's, you know, defended, you know, the Second Amendment, people are out to get him. And Harvard found, they sent this document to Harvard where at 16, he said some incredibly stupid things. And basically, long story short, you've been following this story, I'm guessing. Basically, Harvard has rescinded his offer and he doesn't know what he's going to do. He's going to, he's, he's got different options. He's looking into it. How, regardless of whether you agree with Kyle Kashov or not, can we not have empathy to that situation? Can we not have empathy? If I may quote Barack Obama, you know, if I had a son, he might like, look an awful lot like Kyle Kashov. Look, am I defending what he said? No. But who at 16 hasn't said stupid stuff? Heck, if I, are you going social media? Who at 35 hasn't said some stupid stuff? And if I may get personal about some people I follow, who even to this day hasn't said some stupid stuff in the last hour? It's, it's common. You go onto social media and depending on how many people you follow, but it's rampant. I see stuff all the time. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Disagree with it. I see people been hateful. I see people dissing everyone. They disagree with them. How many, you know, you just go onto Twitter. How many times you see Democrats spelled with rats highlighted or in capital letters? 
the left are all a bunch of you know hippie socialists free sex free condoms free healthcare, abortion loving people you know all these things the right are just like hitler i see all this type of stuff have we any empathy have we any empathy that goes you know what that's not right look we may disagree on every issue but i don't want that to happen to you the second one was i saw a really troubling video of and i don't know the details and the backstory of this but it's a father outside an abortion clinic screaming and crying for his girlfriend or wife to not have an abortion don't go through with it don't you know don't abort our kid again i don't care whether you're pro-life or pro-choice i'm very openly pro-life we've spoken about this on this show many times in the past but some of the comments to that video Look, in a world where, especially in this world where dads are not in the home as much as they used to be, the traditional family is gone, quote-unquote. There's a guy who wants to be a part of his kid's life, and he's literally begging his girlfriend, girl, partner, wife, whatever she is, not to abort their son. So, I want to be part of it. And the comments were horrific. They don't know this guy, but I remember one of the worst comments was like, well, how, why you defend all those people defending this guy and thinking he's some good guy? How do you know he didn't get a pin to pierce the condom to get her pregnant on purpose? Is that where you go to? Can you not, even if you're pro-choice and, hey, a woman has a right to choose, can you not see that guy is pain and just empathize with it and go, gee, I'm sorry? Does everything have to be political? Does everything always have to be really bad? Can we not just empathize with people? Likewise, I see my friends on the left point this out to me about the right, that you don't care about poor people, that we don't empathize with them. They think that, you know, when we say cook government, look, I care as much as anyone about poor people. I've helped poor people. Poverty sucks. I know I've lived in it. I'm not anti-poor because I don't like government. I just don't think it's compassionate to steal from people and take other people's money to give it to someone who's poor. I want them to help themselves. I want to set up a platform where charity helps them, where the church helps them, where we help and encourage them to say, you know what, you don't need anyone else. Just because you're down right now doesn't mean you'll be down tomorrow, that you can get up. You can have a brighter tomorrow if you believe and you work hard. I'm not anti-poor, but I. how can we have empathy? Oh, well, you're on food stamps. You're a bum. Really? How many times do you see that online? Because I see it quite a lot. Can we have empathy towards people in their situations? Likewise, and this is going to be really unpopular, can we have empathy towards people who vote a different way? You know, I'm going to see this a lot in 2020, and I'm not getting involved in it because I don't have a horse in the race, and it's not up to an Irishman to, to say who should be the next president. But there's a lot of my conservative friends who go, well, you can't be a conservative and vote for Donald Trump. Can you have empathy through they're in a really tricky situation? And likewise, if they vote for a third party, can you have empathy towards them? Or is it just that we show empathy to people that we agree with? This world has plenty of hate. How about we show it a bit of love? And how about we show love to people not who deserve it, not to people who are on our side, quote-unquote, but to everyone. Because America loves to talk, and my, especially my friends on the right love to talk about America being this great Christian nation. Well, you're a Christian, that means you believe in Jesus. Look at the actions of what you defend in the politics today, what you defend in the media today. 
Was any of that consistent with the way Jesus lived? You cannot be a Christian. So you can be a Christian and be anything you want to be. You know, people can use the label all they want. But Jesus simply said, the best commandment is love one another like I have loved you. He got rid of everything else. Just just love people. Is that hard? Yes. You have no idea how hard it is. I'm right there with you. It's really tough to hate, to love people. I have people in, on both sides of the aisle who it's like, oh my God, there you go again. And it's like, oh, do I really have to love you? And the answer is, yeah, you have to. You have to be nice to them. How about we just show people a bit more empathy, a bit more love? And how about we just try and understand people's situations? Because not every situation is the same. You are in a situation right now where people are really hateful. Is that who you want to be? Do you want to hate other people because they see the world different to you? Or do you want to actually have some empathy and love towards another? Because I saw one of the stories trending this week, which I felt so sorry for because the issue wasn't even been discussed. Some actress, and I can't even remember who her name is, uh, apparently took some selfies or pictures or I, I don't are they, they they were sexting with her boyfriend or something. I, I, can't, I don't know the details because about sex and that type of stuff. If, if I'm not involved, I don't care. That's my rule about sex. I, if, you know, if I'm not a participant, I don't care. You do what you want. Sleep with one person, sleep with two people. Heck, you could sleep with 10 people in a row. You could have 10 rooms in your house and go bang, 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 bang. See, but I don't care. If I'm not involved, I don't need to know. But, you know, she got hacked in the cloud and basically, you know, she released the pictures and she's like 21 or 22. And then the whole issue, you know, the view discussed that and Whoopi Goldberg said, you know, if you're an actress and you're famous, you shouldn't be doing these type of things. And then it was, well, you know, how dare he, you know, Whoopi Goldberg shame this young girl and it's wrong. How can you look at a situation? I'm not defending what this girl did. Look, I'll be fully, you know, I actually kind of agree with Whoopi in some way. Look, don't send nude pictures of yourself. Just as a general rule, especially don't put them in the, especially if you're famous. And if I may be so bold, guys definitely don't do it. Because there's nothing, uh, women have this lucky. Women, guys have ugly body, you know, there's not, God has a sense of humor. Like, I look at my body and I'm like, Ugh. I see me in the mirror and I go, oh, good God, no. Especially when I wake up in the morning. Ugh. I, I want to barf when I see myself. So no one wants to see that picture. No one wants, there's a reason I wear lots of clothes. No one wants to see me. Women have different, you know, women have beautiful bodies. Women, you know, women have the advantage of our men and stuff. Don't do it. But if you do it, I th- I wouldn't agree. I would say don't do it as a, as a life lesson. But if you do it, does that mean you deserve to be hacked? No. I feel sorry for this girl. Now, maybe because it's 2019 and she's, I'm guessing she'd be considered good looking and she's young and she's fit and, She'll, it might get her, it might advance her career. Or it might, you know, give her some, I hope, I don't know what way the world works anymore. It doesn't make any sense. But can you have empathy towards her? She did something stupid. Does that mean she deserves to, you know, have her pictures that she shared privately, put them in the cloud? Even though she did something silly, does she deserve that? Or does she deserve some empathy to go, look, I'm sorry you had to go through that? It wasn't the smartest thing, but you don't deserve that to happen to you. Honest question. Do we want to have love and empathy or do we just want to go, you're stupid, you're an idiot, you're a moron, you should never have done that. You totally deserve everything that happened to you. Just some questions to think about this weekend, this this weekend as you ponder. 
I hope today's show has given you plenty to think about. We just definitely discussed a lot of principles. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Please share it with your family and your friends. Um, please get involved on social media. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Freedom Disciples, Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58. Leave a rating and review if you can. And we finish this show the way we finish every show by saluting your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel and your vets. You know, the men and women who, regardless of their politics, regardless of their race or their sexuality or their religion, regardless of any of that stuff, they are brothers and sisters and they protect us and they do a good job doing it. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people, because no matter about your principles, never ever forget this, the sentiments of the Tocqueville that I echo. America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. That's you. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, you all have a beautiful and blessed week. versus freebies this is freedom's disciple with jonathan dunn on the blaze radio network